0: first time, what Justin was just talking about, is the first time that River Church is doing an outreach that is 100% funded and led by our youth. We have the Princess Party, we have the Tough Buddy, we've done Utopia, we've done Spooktopia, we've done Parades, we've done another, other things. But this is the first time that our youth have a heart to reach out to our community, and it's 100% their idea, everything about it. And so uh, there is a big town event going on that weekend, fireworks and carnival. And what Justin just mentioned is happening in the middle of all of that. Our youth are basically presenting a gospel opportunity to hundreds, not thousands of people. And so I absolutely, I'm absolutely, i so proud of our youth that they're willing to own this project, self it. We're not spending River Church tithes and offerings. They have found an alternative funding source to make this happen. And it's just, I've never heard of a youth group doing anything like this. And so I'm so proud of them and very grateful for Justin's leadership. Uh, as he helps them coordinate this this big day. So big day on July 7th, like Justin said. Church here in the morning, barbecue and baptisms on the property, and then our first ever uh, 100% outreach that afternoon. So if you can come by and support them, I know that would be encouraging to do that. So the past few weeks, six weeks actually, we've been talking about our temperaments. That has been very uh, helpful. I know it has been for me. I learned a lot from that study. But it also created a desire in me for this Sunday to just talk about jesus enough about you and your personality and what you like and what you don't like and how to talk to you we're all set with that like we had six weeks can we just talk about jesus today and that's really what i want the focus to be and so if you have your bibles we're going to we're going to be in the gospel of mark specifically we're going to be talking about jesus through the lens or filter or gospel of mark and so if you have your bibles this morning please turn to Mark chapter 1, I have a number of things that I want to show to you. I want to show you what Mark is writing about. It's kind of the big idea of the first five or six chapters of Mark. And this is something that I came across in my own devotions over the past few weeks. And so I'm just speaking very, this is something that the Lord used in my life and I was convicted by and challenged by. Uh, and, and I just want to share it with you my observations from the gospel of Mark. ...as I kind of take you on a tour from Mark's perspective of Jesus' life and ministry for the first few chapters. Mark's gospel begins, of course, with this big idea that we can see in Mark chapter 1, verse 11. this, This verse is in the context of the baptism of Jesus. And we know that the skies parted. And as soon as he came out of the water, Jesus, he, saw the heavens being torn open... And the Spirit descending to him like a dove, verse 11, and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, I take delight in you. <laughs> there is a direct correlation between those who are in authority in our lives and their approval. It's incredibly empowering when those who are in authority in our lives also approve of us of 1991, I was 19 years old, I had a very important decision to make and I didn't know if I was ready to make this decision. I didn't even know if, if, if it was a decision I could make. And so I called someone who, to this day, continues to be one of the greatest authorities in my life and I know that I have her approval because it's my mom. And and I was living on my own in a trailer park in Tennessee. I was 19, and I knew I needed to make a big decision, but I didn't know if it was a decision that I could make all on my own. And so I called my mom because she has and continues to be, like I said, one of the greatest authorities in my life, and I know that she approves of me. I picked up the phone, and this was my question. Mom, how do you know when you're ready to get married? And maybe you've had children call you up and ask you that. I don't know. My mom gave me a great answer. She said, Josh, if you can do anything but get married, you're not ready. And that was very helpful to me. As one of the greatest authorities in my life, and I knew that she approved of me, I knew that she loved me, she was basically saying, figure this out on yourself. <laughs> It's not my job to tell you when you're ready to get married. Either you are or you aren't. And if you can do anything else with your life and be happy about it, then you probably aren't. And I spent the next six months thinking about that. And then on August 13, 1991, 19 years old, I asked Trish to marry me. And this Thursday will be our 27th wedding anniversary. But there is a fake There is a direct correlation between the authorities in our life and our sense of their approval. Please understand that everything I'm about to share with you about Jesus for the next five and a half chapters stems from the approval that he had from his Heavenly Father. This is my son in whom I delight. If you look into the Greek text, I choose him. I prefer him. He is my favorite. I take great joy in. all these ideas are found in this word that is really well translated here. This is my beloved son. I take delight in you. Please understand that every single thing that Mark's going to point out about Jesus, specifically the authority of Jesus, rests in the fact that he has the approval of his father. Just a few verses down in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 Jesus, with the full delight of his father, the full approval of his father, after his cousin was arrested, returns to Galilee and began to preach, according to verse 14, the good news of God. And this is what the gospel actually is. The word gospel just means good news. That's what it means. This is the message that Jesus started preaching. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. If we were to kind of put this into some different words, because sometimes we're so familiar with these words that we we fail to to think about them, maybe to give them a chance to enter our brain in, in a new way. Think about them like this. Jesus is wandering around in Galilee, and he says this. God is closer than you could possibly imagine. Act like it matters to you. God is closer to you than you could possibly imagine. Act like it matters to you. From that conversation with my mom in the spring of 1991 until August 13th of 1991 when I asked her to marry me, the timer started ticking. I began to live my life a different way. Yes, I had one more year of college, but I began to look at my life as if I was in charge. That I was going to be a husband. That meant certain things needed to happen, that I needed to take responsibility for myself. My finances, my vehicle, where we're going to live, what I was going to do, how I was going to spend my time. It was up to me. I'm responsible. It's time for me to step up, be a man, and take authority and responsibility in my life knowing that I have the approval and the blessing of my parents, and of course, specifically, my mom. And... Really, what my mom was doing was handing over the approval and the love that she had for me to another woman. And so now, my decisions were going to be seeking the approval and the affirmation of another woman. This woman who was to be my wife. What was she like? What does she want? Where does she want to live? How do I structure my time to support her plans and career goals? It's time for me to take authority for my life. Your marriage is coming near. Act like it means something to you. The last thing I did that year was go to college, and nothing happened. I'm not the one with a ring on my finger, but I'm the one that popped the question. And so everything needed to change. I had to be responsible, and I needed to take new authority of my life. Nineteen years old. And so we did And Jesus is basically saying, that is closer to you, first century Palestinians, Israelites, And you could possibly imagine. Act like it makes a difference to you. Take charge of your lives in such a way that God's arrival in your life is imminent. Act like you understand the good news, that God is closer to you than you could possibly imagine. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, Jesus did not stop at just the preaching of this powerful message. God is closer to you than you could possibly imagine. Act like it makes a difference to you. Act like you understand. Start taking responsibility for your lives and behave in a certain way based off of the imminent arrival of the kingdom of God. It's here. It's approaching. And Jesus begins to prove the validity of God's proximity by how he uses his authority. And I want to show you seven different ways that Mark illustrates how Jesus is the greatest authority the world has ever seen. And his promise of the imminence of God was absolutely true. Mark chapter 1 verse 17. The first thing that Jesus did after being baptized, receiving his father's approval, and and, and declaring the imminent arrival of God in the proximity of the kingdom of heaven, the first thing he did is he began to show authority over men. The first thing he did as the approved Son of God is he began to call men join him in sharing the good news. Verse 17, follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And Mark goes on in a number of different passages in his gospel where Jesus directly and clearly uses his authority to say to a guy, you follow me. Jesus has the authority to call people people to follow him. Jesus is still calling men. There are still men and women who are being called by Jesus to follow him. In a general sense and in a specific sense, Jesus has the authority to call people to himself. He knows that he will not disappoint them because he has the full approval and authority of his father. The next thing that Jesus needs goes on and does this found in verse 22 of chapter 1 in authority it's in response to his teaching in the synagogue on a saturday they were astonished at his teaching because unlike the scribes he was teaching them as one having authority this is what he was teaching them the kingdom of god's arrival is like seed falling on ground and sometimes the ground receives it, sometimes the ground is stony, sometimes the ground is hard, sometimes the ground gets attacked by birds. But the kingdom of God is like seed that falls on the ground. And then he began to teach them also, you find this teaching in Mark chapter 4. He's, he's, he's saying, this is how the kingdom of God actually works. He's teaching... With authority, When the seed contacts the soil and it finds fertile soil, it finds receptive soil, it finds soil that acts like it knows what it's doing, that cares that the kingdom of God has fallen into its life, the farmer goes away and goes about other things and then the seed, all on its own, the kingdom of God begins to take root in a person's life. And then, he continues, the kingdom of God, when it is fully grown, becomes so large that the birds of the air can come and rest in the branches of a seed of something as small as a grain of mustard seed, the tiniest seed known to his listeners at that time. He tells them three things about the kingdom of God that they never knew before. That the power of God falls on their life. They have an opportunity to be responsive to it. When the kingdom of God happens in someone's life, things start to grow all on their own. And the results are unexpected. The blessings are unexpected. The holiness is unexpected. And it's much bigger than anything you can imagine. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. God is closer to you than you could possibly imagine. Act like it matters. And watch and see how the kingdom of God takes root in your life. They never had teach teaching that before. There is no better analogy for the kingdom of heaven to this day. We can think all day and we would not come up with a better analogy for explaining how the power of the gospel interacts with the human life and the balance between free will and the sovereignty of God. It's not possible. Jesus taught with great authority. He calls men with great authority. He teaches with great authority. Verse, 20, uh, verse 27 of chapter 1. Then they were all amazed, and so uh, he just cast out a demon. Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsed him, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so they began to argue with one another, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Jesus has authority over men and women. Jesus has authority the most authoritative teaching that the world has ever seen. We can't even come close to it. No matter how hard we try, it stands the test of time. Jesus has absolute authority over evil spirits. We know that a third of the angels fell before the dawn of creation in rebellion uh, to God, that they followed Lucifer, the son of the morning dawn. In his pride, he wanted to become like God, according to the Old Testament. He was cast from heaven, and a third of the angels chose to follow Lucifer, the son of the dawn. And they continue to this time uh, to harass the angels of light. The two thirds of angels that remain. And specifically, they continue to harass people of faith. They don't have to worry about people who are not Christians because they're already in their camp. And so the job of evil spirits is to torment people who have pledged themselves to Jesus. Jesus has absolute authority over evil spirits. They have is absolutely authoritative over every form of evil that will ever interact with. Verse 31 of chapter 1. Uh, The text goes on to say that Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve him. This is just chapter (laughs) 1. He is in complete authority over men and women. He calls them to serve him. He has authoritative teaching like we've never seen. He has authority over every evil entity. He has authority over physical illness. These are all things that Mark is including in his gospel so that we understand that Jesus has the full approval of uh, his father and he is 100% the greatest authority, a man of action, the healer in every possible way we can think of. And he is someone that we need to make a decision about. Mark continues in chapter 2, verse 5. Some friends of a paralyzed guy brought him to Jesus' presence. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, the man who was paralyzed, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is absolutely authoritative regarding the forgiveness of sins. You see what Mark is doing? He is making the case that Jesus is absolutely authoritative in every area that Jesus interacts. Because he is, the love of his Father has given him his approval and his authority, every sphere that Jesus moves in, he is 100% authoritative, including the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 2, verse 28. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples started to make their way, picking some heads of grain. They got in trouble for this. He's challenged by the Pharisees, and he told them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord of even the Sabbath. It is our job as people of faith to follow this example of Jesus, to do good, and to bring peace on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for us to worship the Lord and to do what is right. Jesus is authoritative over the Sabbath. When it comes to worshiping God, he defines what that worship looks like. Jesus is the authority over the Sabbath, over how we worship the Lord. And finally, in chapter 4, verse 39, he's out on the Sea of Galilee with his followers He was sleeping in the stern of the boat. The boat is beginning to get swamped. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. They were terrified, and asked one another, Who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Jesus is completely authoritative over nature. Jesus has authority over evil spirits. Jesus has authority over the lives of men and women. Jesus has the greatest teaching authority the world has ever seen. Jesus has authority over physical illness. Jesus has authority over how we worship. Jesus has authority over the weather. Mark is making. The, Mark is, is showing Jesus where everywhere Jesus goes in the first four chapters of the Gospel of Mark. He is in charge. He's in control. This is normal. This is the way it's being done. Intentional. All of it is being based on the approval that he has from his father. And then we come to chapter 5. If you just read through the gospel of Mark, like I have done recently, it's just like hit after hit after hit after hit. This man is unstoppable. Like this gospel is going to end soon because what else can he be in charge of? All the things he's already in charge of. He lists seven of them. And then we come to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. Mark takes it to another level. Jesus is walking through a, a common area, a marketplace. You can find the story in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. I don't have the words on the screen. I'm just going to narrate a leader of the synagogue, approaches Jesus and his followers and says, Master, come quickly. My daughter is ill. She is in peril for her life. While this conversation is taking place, a woman who has been chronically ill for over a decade touches, without permission, the hem of Jesus' garment and receives absolute healing immediately. All of her money couldn't heal her. All of signs of the day, couldn't heal her. Time didn't heal her. One touch from Jesus heals her. Jesus stops the conversation with Jairus and the men that came with him about his sick daughter. Power has gone out of me. Who touched me? He blesses the woman who had faith to touch him and receive the healing that she desperately needed. Then he goes with Jairus, finds that the daughter is dead, and raises her from the dead. Where does this guy stop? Mark compounds the action. is called a Markian sandwich. Jairus is the bread, and the woman is the peanut butter and jelly in the middle. See, up until this point, it's just been action, 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 action. Now it's action squared action. Mark is escalating the action to prove that Jesus is authoritative. Everywhere he goes, he's authoritative. When he says the kingdom of God is near, act like that means something to you. What area of our lives do we need to, to, to question? Because Jesus is authoritarian, authoritative over every area of every life he touches in the first four, uh, five and a half chapters of Mark. Mark chapter 6. After healing the daughter, he went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came... He began to teach in the synagogue, and many heard him were astonished. Okay, we've seen this before. People are amazed, people are astonished, we've never heard teaching like this before. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended. See, this is the point of the story where if you're just reading through the Gospel of Mark, you think, and here's where they unveiled the statue in the center of town of Jesus. Doing one of seven amazing things. Casting out spirits, teaching, healing, controlling the weather. Like, this this is where the story is going. These people know him the best. These people have seen God work in his life from the time he could walk and talk. And all the way through, he left and began to preach the good news of the Gospel. But there's no statue being unveiled. This is the part of the story where there's supposed to be a parade. With like cotton candy and stuff. Like Jesus clothes. But no. They take offense at him. We're basically, who is this guy be? He is. He's, he's the technos. The Greek word for craftsman. Artisan. He's the carpenter. He works with his hands. Who is this guy? Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown among his relatives and in his household. So he was not able to do any miracles there. What? He he couldn't do what? He was not able. Jesus was reigned in. In his hometown. The verse continues, Except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus is, according to the Gospel of Mark, which you can summarize Jesus' role in in Mark's eyes as the man of action. Jesus does everything quickly. He does everything immediately. He does everything with great authority. Right up until chapter 6, when you see in the very place where he should have been recognized and loved and adored and, and, and agreed and obeyed at the greatest level, with the deepest understanding, he's actually reined in. There wasn't the faith there to do any of the kinds of miracles or authoritative works that he'd been doing earlier in the gospel. And Jesus is amazed at, at the response that he receives amongst his own people. As you're reading through the gospel of Mark and you say, where is this gospel going? Like, you just expect this guy to levitate off the ground and shoot straight into the heavens. Like, what else is there for him to be the champion of? And then you come to chapter 6, and Jesus is found to have his powers limited by those that knew him the best. And so now, as we're reading through the Gospel of Mark, well, if there's a part of the Gospel of Mark where now the hero is depressed, and the hero needs to go on a quest, the hero needs to go on a journey to redefine himself, the hero needs to ask the deep questions, and, you know, were the first five and a half chapters just luck? Like, you know, where there's this inner turmoil in the hero's life if you're, if you're following a normal narrative arc. <laughs> Watch what Jesus does in chapter 6 after being rejected in his hometown. Continuing in verse 6 and a half, 6b. Now he was going around the villages in a circuit, teaching. He summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except a walking stick, no bread, no traveling bag, no money in their belts. They were to wear sandals, but not put on an extra shirt. Then he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you and people refuse to listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent. And they were driving out many demons, anointing many sick people with olive oil, and healing them. Right at the point in the story where this unmovable force named Jesus with his father's approval is acting authoritatively in every area of our lives that we can possibly imagine in the first century culture and world, he's, he's met with disbelief, he's met with scorn, he, he's met with derision. And then he decides to multiply the mission. There's no doubt in his mind. There's no turmoil in his mind. He encountered exactly what he had taught in Mark chapter 4. Unreceptive soil. It's not the seed's fault. There are still seeds that need to be planted. Just because this path is hard and stony and the word is not being received here by those that should have received it the best, Jesus does not have a moment of reflective or doubt, or worry. In fact, he takes it to a whole other level in that he sends out six teams of two guys to preach the very same stuff that he had been preaching. Met with an unreceptive hometown, he multiplied the mission. And, and I thought, what a powerful thought for us today. Number one, to just spend a few moments reflecting on the authority of Jesus, because Jesus is still the ultimate authority regarding and the weather uh, in, in every possible area of our lives. He's still the one that we turn to to forgive our sin. He's still the one that we turn to to model our worship after. And when he's met with a setback, when he's met with faithlessness, when he's met with derision, when he's met with scorn and doubt, he just multiplies the mission and he goes to people that he doesn't know. Knowing that he has the approval of his father and that the seed, that the gospel message, God, is closer than you can imagine. We should be acting like we understand that. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near, is the most powerful thing he could possibly be doing, and it gave him his complete confidence. He was rejected at home, and that's the moment that he decides to send the disciples out. Shouldn't he send sent the disciples out after he showed that he had authority over, over evil spirits? Shouldn't he have sent the disciples out after when he showed he had authority over the weather? Shouldn't he have sent the disciples out after he had the most authoritative teaching about the kingdom of heaven that the world has ever seen? At any point in the text, wouldn't it have made more sense when he just had this powerful illustration of how authoritative he is, that that would have been when he sent the disciples out. But well, here's one of our takeaways this morning, one of the big ideas. Once Jesus had been rejected, his disciples were thoroughly trained. Because sometimes the response to the gospel message and the good news is no. And sometimes that response comes from those that know us and love us the most. Ah, here's just the reality this morning. If, if your family and friends, the ones that you're the closest to, were going to receive the gospel and come to and call and example, they would be here. But they're not. For many of us, they're not. The ones that we're the closest to, the ones that know us the best, the ones who have had a front row seat at what the gospel has done in our lives are the very ones that are not here. Once the disciples had tasted rejection, then they were thoroughly trained. To go and talk to strangers, because you know who is fascinated by your story? My family. Because they don't know your story. You guess, you know who has no interest in the Joshua church story at all? Our families. It's just normal for them. So who is going to reach your family? Strangers. A prophet is despised in his own town. The ones that know you the best are sometimes the ones that won't But if I share my story with your family, they'll probably listen with both ears. Once the disciples had been rejected, they were then thoroughly trained. The gospel didn't need to shrink at this point. It needed to be multiplied to those who hadn't heard the story of Jesus yet. I thought that was a powerful way to deal with what looked like an apparent failure. This man who knew no failure at all the first four or five chapters of the Gospel of Mark, finds failure at home and then ramps it up to another level. Understanding that sometimes the soil doesn't receive the seed, but it's not the seed's fault. And the seed is such good seed and the news is such good news that it needs to be preached everywhere. Sometimes it's more receptive amongst strangers. And so he equips the disciples to go out with nothing so that they would learn the power of just the purity of the message of the gospel. Once they had the experienced rejection, the disciples were now thoroughly trained. And one of the big ideas for this morning is your story is amazing to my family. <laughs> my story is amazing to your family. And so when we approach barriers with the gospel, with the ones that know us and love us the best, where we anticipate the greatest reception of what God is doing in our lives, we should understand that that's just the way things go sometimes. That the Lord is going to do what he's going to do when he's going to do it. But that doesn't mean that we should stop our gospel presentations. In fact, we might be more successful with those who haven't heard our story yet. And he knows. How powerful is it when we speak with a co-worker or a stranger or, or someone that we're not terribly close with. And we just say something along the lines of God is closer than you can possibly imagine. What would it look like if you started living your life that way? Followed by this. Because Jesus is authoritative in teaching. He's authoritative over evil spirits. He's authoritative over physical illness. He's authoritative over the lives of men and women. He's authoritative over sin. He is the defining authority in how we should worship. And he is the authority over nature. There's a good possibility that someone needs a prayer in one of those areas. And so I, I want us to feel comfortable this morning knowing that bold with our gospel presentations. It's as simple as this. God is closer as you can possibly imagine. We should live our lives if that makes a difference to us. Is there a way that I can pray with you right now? And then let Jesus be authoritative in their life. I'm wrapping up our time together this morning and as we move into a time of a final song of worship and a time of prayer I want to kind of come back to that initial thought that The authority of Jesus was anchored in his Father's approval. And here's what I want to share with you and here's where I'd like to wrap up our time together this morning. When we acknowledge Jesus Christ as the authority in our lives, we receive our Father's approval. Say it again. When we acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives, we then share in Father's approval. That is really good news. Our Heavenly Father is far closer than we can possibly think or imagine. And we're living our lives as if we actually care about that. And then when we begin to pray, Jesus is going to continue to be authoritative. And sometimes that message will be received, and sometimes that message will be So we're going to have an opportunity to pray this morning and to give honor to Jesus one more time. If you do not know Jesus Christ as the authority of your life, sometimes you hear pastors say "Your Lord and Savior. I would encourage you to simply acknowledge the reality that Jesus is authoritative in your life, whether you like it or not. And that you will humbly give yourself over to him and allow him to preserve you, to save you, and to be the authority in your life. It's a simple prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I've made a lot of decisions on my own. I've been in charge of my life. I now see through the gospel of Mark that Jesus is the authority of every area of my life, and I give my life to him. Father, would you help me to grow in my wisdom and how I can best serve Jesus? And for those of us who prayed for like that a long time ago, I want to encourage you that all of us have reached out to. us love them desperately and would love to see their hearts receive the gospel of jesus and we can continue to pray that way but don't take no for an answer continue to boldly share that in fact multiply the message because you know what when you speak to my family they will actually listen to you and when i speak to your family they will actually That his word is the most powerfully received amongst those that don't actually know us. And the message is so simple. God is so much closer than you could possibly imagine. We should live our lives as if that matters. Can I pray for you? And then call down the authority of Jesus in any area that the person mentions. And watch and see what he does. It's like a seed that finds fertile soil. And the farmer goes away and grows how he knows not. And it becomes so massive Unintended consequences for good are then the byproduct of that decision of faith. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. We claim him as our authority. Father, we reject evil and sin. We humble ourselves to the authority of your son in every